You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is Standing in Two Worlds with Dr. Sam Juni in Yerushalayim Irakadish. I'm Avram Kivalevich. You know, I've been I've started to say Yerushalayim Irakadish very often when I refer to uh, my good friend Dr. Juni there, and part of it is because I long to join you to be in that incredible city, that city that uh, is not only so much part of our history but still is Yerushalayim Irakadish, a city where you see aspects of Kedusha consistently, where you see not only vibrant Jewish life everywhere in terms of the people that are cleaning the streets and people that are uh, the bus drivers and everyone hustling and bustling in the stores, everyone's Jewish of all stripes, but also what I believe permeates there, especially on Shabbos and Yom Tovim, sense that this is a city despite its faults and its it's, a, it's it's being all difficult cities, difficult streets, winding everywhere. It is Irakadish. And I think that really uh, comes to the fore, specifically this week, uh, Dr. J, because here I am in my world, the world you inhabited for so long and together with many others here in this in, the, in North America. And we are, of course, approaching the Christmas Day we're, we're in the in the essence almost of the Christmas season, the throes of the Christmas season, getting the last minute shopping and, and, and thinking about where you're going to be. And we all know, all of us Orthodox Jews and non-Orthodox Jews, that this is indeed a Christian country. It's a country that um, you go on to Google, um, you're going to see the uh, all the letters are, are emblazoned with various uh, Christmas imagery, um, and everywhere you look, it is uh, a, a whether you are able to get look or enter. If you go into a store, you go into any sort of place of, of business, you realize that there's Christmas carols and tunes. And it's expected of all of us uh, when we, at least I think so, uh, to make note of that. Even when you are behind the plexiglass and the cashier is with her gloves putting your, your purchases to make note, to say happy holidays. Um, she might be wearing an elf hat. Here we f- are feeling the Christmas spirit, the season, and especially maybe perhaps in Corona, it's, it's a little bit truncated, but in normal years, it's, it, it permeates. And you, of course, in Yerushalayim, uh, Dr. J, uh, although I know there's many pilgrims who are in Bethlehem probably already and anticipating, you don't really have that, right? I mean, in, in Yerushalayim, is, you might have your Christian tourist with their cameras or, or iPhones taking pictures in the, in the Rova, but can you tell just, can you tell what's Christmas going on over there? Um, well, you can tell basically in two places. You can tell that in the old city, there are actually some um, lights and displays that uh, remind you that it's Christmas time. And also you see it in our um, brethren's ultra-liberal displays in certain establishments where they make sure to greet you either with a generic happy holiday so as not to appear overly Jewish and say Hanukkah, or actually list 
you know, the various holidays that are going on. I don't know what Muslim holidays are going on now, but they, they will list it to make sure just to be, um, you know, egalitarian. So that's how you notice it. But definitely, like in the mainstream Yishalayim, you have dreidels and, um, and uh, Hanukkiahs all over. And there, there are no Christian symbols. So in a sense, that's heartening for me because I feel more at home rather than um, feeling basically a stranger in somebody else's religious cathedral that I felt all over uh, New York um, when I, New York and, and elsewhere where I lived um, in the United States. So right, you don't, you don't see those displays. So, much. you know, look, I, I do have a... Well, um, on the radio, you do, you do have music in some of the more um, liberal stations. You do have the share of Christian music coming in or, or um, sacred music coming in to honor the, um, the, the time of year. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I, what I want to do with you and uh, you'll, I'm not trying to use you at all, but I know that there is a psychological uh, insight that you could give us. But at first I want to take you a little bit down memory lane and I want you to talk a little bit about what it, what it's like, because I do think there's a, a, a sense of angst and, internal difficulties that ensue here for us. Now, I'm going to take off the table a total insulated community. I don't know if Kiryat Yoel is. I don't know if if Square Town is. um, Shichun Square. I don't know if those are. But I'm going to imagine, at least for this discussion, that you are able to live there um, and not feel the influence. Uh, And that is, is, is for a, a myriad number of reasons. But I'm going to assume that even you know, most of American Jewry, including its Orthodox members, felt in, in, in their past and continue to feel the overwhelming presence of Christianity and specifically how important this period and this day is. So can you give us some a little bit of what you went through uh, especially, you know, growing up in, you know, as as the uh, son of two Haredi, you know, uh, I, I guess Hasidish uh, parents in a, a neighborhood, and yet knowing that what was there uh, around you and was perhaps looming behind it was not, you know, a, you know Christian uh, love and, and, and a Christian happy day. How, how did... Can you can you can you take me back a little bit in your life how that felt? Sure, I'd be happy to. So um, I'll, I'll touch on several flashpoints that have stayed with me. Um, first of all, um, the attitude that I was brought up with is that Christianity is evil, that it's the uh, the seat of persecution of Jews, and I'm not a describing that as illegitimate. I'm not describing the second part as illegitimate. Um, but um, there was also the notion that Goyim are sludge, that non-Jews basically, uh, all they care about is drinking and all they care about is uh, illicit moral acts, etc. Um, which I guess is was very functional in terms of ghetto life or in terms of keeping the youth away from the enticements of that culture. So that was there. So that's point number one. Point number two um, is that um, I personally was very shocked to find that 
at least the Christians that I knew, among the Christians that I knew, was first of all, there was genuine belief, not just um, um, pragmatic utilitarian ways of a way of getting something or whatever, which is the way where we let the belief that is all just um, um, circumstantial and not real. I found that it was real. I found there also um, a respect towards religion, which I was not used to. I was used to basically a cynical attitude towards Judaism within the culture I was in. Almost cynical, almost cynical because you're so familiar, you're Hamish with it. It's almost like your little brother. You can mess around with him. So you can mess around with God. He looks at many anti-God jokes in the culture. Many things are saying, oh, come on, you know, when I looked into the safer, why I was saying, you know, Pesuka de Zimra, or, you know, and I, whatever, and I actually looked over the, the divertor or the paper, or worse yet, while I was davening, whatever, that kind of stuff. And um, also a tmimus, a, 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 a um, straightforward devotion and respect, like, you know, uh, Christians don't talk to each other during services. You know, maybe because it's only done like a half hour a week. I don't know what the lambdas is rather than three hours a day. But there's a certain kind of, uh, uh, shall we say, um, genuine religiosity there that I picked up that I actually felt um, um, inferior towards where I'm coming from. Um, And at the same time, it came with a lot of guilt because what am I doing seeing these people as legitimate and perhaps even honorable after all the horrible things they've done to us, which is a pretty good time to my superego and it made me feel very guilty. So that's one prat that I think is noteworthy. Um, the other part is basically sociological and not necessarily based on my particular interaction. And that is a, a principle that when you are a minority in a host majority culture, you feel inferior, period. Regardless of whether you're smarter, more sophisticated, richer, whatever it is, more colorful, um, have better heritage, more knowledge, you feel inferior. And I definitely felt that. And I can speak as a spokesman for my entire cohort or neighborhood or sviva or, or, or whatever it is, group of refugees and their kids. We felt inferior. And I'm not talking about inferior to the WASP, um, mainstream um, uh, uh, population in America, which we looked up to in a very clear uh, aspect. But I would say I felt inferior to the um, Spanish and Puerto Rican uh, poor families that lived in the slum that I moved into simply because they were, so to speak, the host culture. They were there before we came and they, with their... (laughs) horrible way of life, objectively speaking, and even we saw it going on, it was horrible with the um, uh, 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 spousal abuse, with the threats, with the screaming, with the, with the um, uh, uh, vomiting on the streets. We still felt inferior to them because we are the minority. And this is an automatic reaction, which it's worthwhile for people to know everywhere outside of Israel, where we are the majority, the notion that you, when you go into a foreign culture, there's no way you will, won't find the host culture enticing and attractive, which by definition makes your own view of yourself and your culture and your religion inferior. Well, you know, Please. Well, you know, it's interesting that you're saying that, you know, as a, um, as a child who was so touched, you know, uh, by uh, 
the Academy Award-winning film West Side Story, you know, I, I always envisioned that the Puerto Rican culture, the Puerto Ricans who uh, inhabited uh, the various, as you say, the slum areas, saw themselves very much as, you know, Nardo and the Jets in West Side Story as being uh, queer minorities, especially the ones that were dark-skinned. And yet it's interesting that 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 you saw the Puerto Ricans because I'm going to throw out this idea because of the fact that they went to the church, although it might have been a church, iglesia, that they spoke Spanish in, but because they were part of the church and because of a Christmas celebration, which is sort of like uh, the apex of uh, what Christian American life is, they shared that. They were able to hold hands in real brotherhood around the Christmas tree with their wealthier counterparts in Westchester County. That, in your mind, made them someone to to sort of be jealous of, someone to, I wish I could be part of that. So I think it really speaks very much so to the bonding aspect of, of, of Christmas specifically. Because other than Christmas... You would have thought, you know, jets and sharks, they're against each other. But somehow the same way as we know, famously in Europe, in World War One, uh, I, I think it was, uh, or was in World War Two, the famous moment where, because it was Christmas Eve, uh, the French and the English, I think, uh, stopped their battle. And they said, look, this is bigger than all of us. So that, I'll use a Hebrew word, that tiskalus of everyone together, you know, under, you know, Jesus's uh, welcoming arms in, 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 Christ, in Christianity, that is what seemingly what you were talking about. Because otherwise, they could, the Hispanic, the Puerto Ricans could say, you know, you guys got it better than us. And yet, yes. if it, in other words, if it wouldn't be for Christmas, which is sort of, although it's only one day or, or one week or whatever it is, 12 days, depending on where you're coming from. That's an incredible glue that holds this this coalition together and that we, Orthodox Jews or any types of Jews who reject Jesus and Christianity and Santa Claus, we're not part of that. Right. I mean, I would say that the Christian, uh, Christmas was actually the concretization of Goyishness, so to speak, in a positive way. In other words, otherwise it would be, I would see it as splinter groups, but it's the Goy aspect of the um, allegedly derisive feature of Guy that grouped them together, and then when you saw something lofty in one end of the Guyisha screen, um, screen, it kind of washed across the rest of it, and they became also part of the respectable um, host group into which we were trying to assimilate. And you can be darn sure we were working overtime trying to assimilate, not into their religion, but into their culture and their values and their uh, esteem. We were trying to sponge off whatever it is they already established and get in and perhaps even usurp them eventually. But sure, (laughs) this was an attempt to get one foot on the rung up or two feet on the rung up and eventually to become someone who can also move to suburbia and be like totally, you know, shaven and have a very nice um, aftershave uh, <laughs> scent to them and whatever. You wear a tie, look respectable, and people will actually call you sir. Well, I, that, that little Freudian slip, now I know what to send you uh, in your in your Christmas stocking. Some aqua velva. I think I see that... <laughs> 
I don't know if I'm ever going to see you without a beard anymore, but I know what the, now I know what to send you. Um, no, no, the beard is going to disappear as soon as I'm over COVID because then I actually have to circulate between people. Okay? <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's a good look for you. Um, look, as, as, as both of us know, the, the less you have on top, the better the, uh, the appearance on your chin is. Well, uh, Dr. Che, let me ask you this. You know, it, it, I, it, it's interesting that you're saying that, especially since both of us um, were, as you say, were taught how it, it, ridiculous theologically um, the basis of, of, of Christmas is. Uh, we were taught how, you know, the virgin birth and um, the idea of God um, embodying in a human being is. And and, 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 and even, and, and I think that part of what you're saying is, yes, we know that we reject uh, this this Messiah aspect, but boy, isn't it great to, to get into this loving feeling, uh, everybody's friendly, everyone's giving presents to each other, everyone is smiling with each other, um, uh, even somebody who's a... Uh, you know, a, a certifiable bastard is is today like Scrooge, uh, giving turkeys to people and giving stoka. Th- that image is so it, it's so heartwarming, as you say. It's 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 hard not to be drawn into that. Go ahead. Yeah, I wanted to take exception to your preamble here, saying even <laughs> though we were all st- all taught that this is not correct and garbage, or I don't know which terms you use, and I want to say that that's not the message I got from my upbringing. The message, I'll tell you, speaking, let's say, let's start with Nittle, okay? Nittle was basically a taboo that we could not do anything productive, holy, or merit, um, 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 I'm sorry, meritorious on Nittle because then it would be uh, used to the credit of the Christians, Okay, the way I was raised is not that Christianity is ridiculous uh, or wrong. Uh, yes. Uh, yes. So, well, you know, I know we have many listeners, and and, and including a lot of uh, Christian folk, and I I think I have to explain a little bit as my as, as in my chair here as the podcast host. I think I have to explain a little bit what nittel is. I know you were about to you know in, in your discussion, nittel means although there's a, a question about when nittel occurs. Generally, it's it is celebrated or memorialized or on the on Christmas Eve, which would be the evening of December twenty fourth, leading into the calendar day of December twenty fifth. Jesus' birthday, essentially. Jesus' yeah, birthday, right? And this, the idea was that uh, not to learn Torah and not to involve yourself in intense mitzvos because. As, as as Dr. Judy sort of has sort of said, that by doing that you're going to uh, allow the siphoning off of those mitzvos into the powers of evil, the powers of the Sitra Achra, the powers that allowed Christianity this dominance over the planet and the ability to persecute us. So if there was a way to sort of stave off and neutralize its power, it was to sort of not learn Torah and be less involved in vibrant Jewish life on uh, the eve of December 24th. I know that uh, in American culture, what you hear is, that's the day that I ripped toilet paper uh, for Shabbos for the whole year. I think I've, that was something that I heard 
in my teenage years. That that's what they that's what Nittelnacht was for. Um, I've had a lot of uh, just to tell you, I've I've I I, I, I've spent a lot of. I came from it was card playing, playing cards. Okay, so that was the gambling night in yeshiva. Was was it right? Well, it it, it depends. I guess it really depends the quality of the paper that you have in your hand. It might be cards, or it might be uh, Charmin that you're getting ready. But the the point though is, I I will tell you that it is not universally accepted. Uh, I I I grew up under the influence of one of the strongest Lithuanian type rabbis, Rav Nota Greenblatt. He should be gesund, and he used to machavek. Uh, he used to dismiss summarily uh, this idea. And uh, I've given a lot of great shiurim and learned a lot of terror, but I respect the, the, the custom of nittel. So anyway, that's a little bit of a description of what nittel was. Go back. I, I interrupted you. Go back to, to, to nittel right. for me. So what I want to talk over here is about, I mean, just mentioned, is a sub-vocalized and maybe even a subconscious, a sub-conceptualized notion, which is almost polytheistic, in its flavor, that it's not that the Gaim's religion is junk, that it's nothing. It is there, but it's wrong, it's evil, it's anti-Jewish, and ours is a better way. Now, that is not necessarily um, how various segments of Jewry see it, but I can tell you where my sociocultural background is not to um, dismiss um, any religion as being nonsensical, but just as being something that's antithetical to our religion, and maybe even to God, talk about evil forces, Satan, the devil, whatever it is. So I'm just basically obsessing a little bit on your preamble saying, although we know it's ridiculous, we, maybe you know it's ridiculous, we don't know it's ridiculous, and therefore, in terms of my own um, um, relationship to the host culture, I didn't see them as idiots. I saw them as people who are on a different path. I mean, now I see them more respectfully as being on a relatively different path, which is not worse, just different, a la Rabbi Sachs, which, of course, you know, some people don't like that perspective. But I saw them as something as, hey, because they have a genuine allegiance to something that's real, we can actually appreciate some of the positive aspects. And that's not a very Hamish Jewish perspective, but there's no question that that is what was inculcated in us socioculturally as we were minorities. If you are a minority, by definition, you start valuing whatever is around you, and it's based on um, cognitive dissonance theory, which we don't have to get into, but that's basically a given. Be put into a minority uh, situation of subjugation with a host dominant culture, you will start admiring um, partially at least, within you, that particular culture. So yes, and then you appreciate the music, you appreciate the, the conviviality of among, pe- among people, and it's something that can be quite threatening to you unless you have a real strong um, support system or you move to Monroe. That's the second uh, option. That's right. So let's talk now in really in your wheelhouse. Let's go away from your, your, your memory into your professional uh, prescription. What are we to do, us uh, that are here on this side of the Atlantic, uh, that are not at the, in, in, in the midpoint of the world in Eretz Yisrael? What are we to do to sort of navigate? You're saying that uh, especially those that are, you know, obviously in, trying to, if not insulated in Monroe fashion, 
but trying to retain uh, a strength and a, uh, a significance of what our life. How are we supposed to deal with this overwhelming uh, feeling of being in the minority? And what psychological uh, impact does it have? I, before you answer, I just want to mention something that, that is, I, I know you're familiar with as a parent who sent his children to school. There was almost this, um, I, I would call it a, uh, a, a, a uh, like, over-the-top insistence that Christmas Day um, there should be complete total school and that even though um, there was no bus service available, uh, they would they would move hell and high water to make sure that the children went to school normally. Chas v'shalom. We should give... let's, not, let's not forget many of the teachers wouldn't show up. Right, that, were... right that, that was my next point. Uh, many of the teachers who were not Jewish wouldn't be there, but you have to be there. The school is not going to give in. We're going to do everything. Now, in other words, and let me just tell you why this bothered me so much. Because a, a month later, there would be two weeks off. There'd be everybody going on uh, vacations, especially when I became a teacher. And I, I would see this happening, that they would force us and force the kids in school on Christmas when it was one of the most difficult days to get public transit, to get a, a, a great amount of kids into one place. With all and, the ice and snow. Yes. And now, like, but that doesn't mean we're not going to take a, a break. We're just going to do it a month later where everybody's going to go to Florida or wherever vacation spot they want to go to. But there's this doubling down. No. December 25th, we, we are not letting it into our life. It's a regular, regular day. And even if it was Chal and Hanukkah, instead <laughs> of going to the holiday break, no way. Right, right sure, we're going right, to show them. Right. We're so going to is... cut our noses. That's right. Even though one could just say, look, <laughs> you know, we'd love to be in school. We just can't. It's like COVID. We, we can't be there. Stay at home. Enjoy. It's not your holiday. So there is this sense, I believe, this, 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 this row up your sleeves and fight that, that, that we have within us. But as you're saying, there are psychological effects that we can't help but be affected by. And, and, and how do we neutralize them? How, are, are we able to neutralize it and still retain our identity? So why don't you respond in, uh, in that, uh, on that note? So my, my short answer to your last question, can we neutralize it? No. But what we can do is do a judo move. And I was instead of going against it, saying, okay, so today we will have a Yom Iyun, or this week we'll have a Yom Iyun, to understand the influence. Now it's to actually face what's going on here. We have this um, um, creed around us that envelops us. We can't escape them. We need to understand them. You can share with the students that in order to be able to keep our God up, but you don't have to share that again. You just say it's a reality. Let's look at it. We don't vet. Like, for instance, yes, there are kids who go off the derech. Let's not deny it to ourselves that at least each one has two cousins and probably one uncle who's not fluent, okay? Let's admit it and let's talk about it rather than saying, oh, no, all the Jews is Torah, mitzvahs, blah, 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 which sounds very nice, but it's not, it's not realistic. So sometimes by facing something, we can mitigate the effect but you can't eliminate it because it's almost a, a, shall we say, a sociological maxim. By definition, you know, you become enamored of a power source, especially when it's a power source that's cultural and goes all the way around you. 
You'll so, be actually Okay, so I, I guess I wasn't clear in my question, and, and, and that happens a lot, especially as, as you know, we, we, we record sometimes when we are just coming out of our stupor. Um, so I, I guess what I was trying to, to ask you, Dr. Jay, was since we are affected despite our courage and despite what we're trying to do, um, is, is honesty important? Let's just own up to the fact that there are so that there are these positives that we would like to be part of, um, and and maybe if we do that, we won't feel so inferior. Um, we won't feel like we are the kid sticking his nose into the candy store window and salivating and not having. Um, maybe in fact, I'm not talking about sharing you know, some sort of, you know, uh, uh, event on Christmas Day in, you know, in unity, although I know there are many Jews who probably feel that's a, a, that would be a nice thing. But is there some sort of psychological measure we could take? Something, the same way you have counseled us on this program about opening up and being honest and, and dealing with the issue, is there something you could tell us who are on this side of, of what we can do to to steal ourselves to to help ourselves through it. I do agree with your general gist, but I'd like to just rephrase the term from honesty to straightforwardness, because there's no question. Everybody knows it's there. So honesty would mean saying, "Oh yeah, I'm not going to lie and say it's not there." That's not the point. I think just being straightforward, basically grab the bull by the horn, saying, "What's the reality we're dealing with?" And that's all, but you can't do anything to then um, knock out the effect. I don't think so. I think it'll just mean that we know what we're doing, which means that um, to a certain extent, we're no longer busy closing our eyes and saying, yeah, I'm facing it. But uh, I generally agree with your formula that um, being straightforward, you know, as you might, you know, uh, have me stereotypically uh, typecast, being straightforward is the only tool we have because there ain't no other because there's nothing to do. You'll never convince yourself that you are more superior to the people who you pay your taxes to, who set your policies, who um, tell you just where you can live and where you can go and how much you have to pay and whether you're going to go to prison or not. You can't overcome that kind of shall we say, sociological reality and just still see yourself as functioning on a basis. It doesn't happen. Uh, you, know, you know, you've got me thinking here and, and we've talked about this subject um, directly and, we, and I've heard your attitudes about it um, indirectly as well. But is it possible that part of the appeal of what we were talking about in terms of secular humanism and other sorts of, uh, you know, beyond religious morality, uh, the appeal to that would be to escape from this Christian control. In other words, if we can somehow neutralize and homogenize the best aspects of Christmas, brotherhood, caring for the planet, caring for everyone, without the theological part, and creating this sense of goodwill towards all men, giving everybody their, their love and space, including, you know, members of the, of all different communities and all different sexual orientations and sort of 
trying to uh, make Christmas less religious and more about this this unifying uh, sense of mankind and, 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 and a responsibility to the planet that we've been talking about, maybe that's a way why uh, to neutralize the sense of being part of the minority. Uh, if, if we can somehow slay that dragon or transform it into some great secular humanism, I, you know, I, I, I heard recently someone um, upbraid um, uh, Pete Buttigieg. Now, Pete Buttigieg was the mayor of, and I think he's still the mayor of South Bend, who I think mm-hmm. is going to be becoming transportation secretary under Joe Biden. And um, somebody was saying about how un um, how unready he is for the job, but they were trying to undermine his qualifications by talking about how that during the, the 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 election period or during the period of of the primaries, he was talking about religion. He was talking about what God wants. He was talking about what God would want from us. And of course, anybody that leads Leviticus knows that a person who lives openly as a homosexual. Uh, is an abomination. And yet, Pete Buttigieg was talking about God beyond. In other words, God as caring for the world, God as caring for the planet. And he he was one of the candidates that that argued for a godliness that was completely disconnected from the biblical scripture. And I, I think this sense of of whether it's God or some other great force I think this is something that's very appealing to many Jews as well because it stops them from feeling in the minority. It it actually is asking for Christmas to morph or Christianity to morph into something more inclusive, right? And I think that, that, that might be one of the reasons why secular humanism has become so attractive. Anyway, I just thought about that. What do you think? I, I want to say I want to react to what you're saying, but you also freaked me out with something. So I, I want, to re, want to relate to both. And what's, what's novel about this is that you're almost suggesting that we have over here a chapter from the Protocols of the Elders of Zion that it's Jews who are responsible for derailing Christianity into something that's kind of a, a, a general formula that dethrones Jesus, that dethrones all the of the basic tenets of the all encyclicals and makes it something that's a part of a religion. Uh, that's kind of wild, but I was thinking, as you were saying, not to attribute it to Jews, but to attribute it to basically activists who are lapsed Christians, who are trying to take Christianity and make it an analog of, an or, of let's say, a Tikkun Olam kind of religion, which is part of a, the way many of our compatriots in Judaism have done in terms of modern innovations. But that's kind of interesting that that's the way of sterilizing it or defanging the negative aspects to make it something that's much much more palatable. So that's right. reaction. The yeah, other one, you, you raised my hackles about something. I just have to do this. I have to stand on principle here. You said you were talking about Burjak, okay? And you were saying that if he reads Leviticus, he would see that he is an abomination. And I have to just take exception to that. Leviticus says that homosexual behavior is an abomination. It does not call homosexuals abominations. There's a big difference, and that's, I, I'm getting excited about that because <laughs> I know in our trying to deal with people who um, basically feel 
uh, beset by homosexuality against their better sense. And what we often tell them is that, look, you are acceptable as a person. You're Jewish. Your behavior is something that's and is that is antithetical to Jewish um, uh, uh, addiction. So I'm just pouncing on a um, form of speech that you use, okay. and I just want to correct that for the record. Okay, so I'm used to your pouncing for many, many years, and I will uh, just tell you that I, I didn't mean to suggest that it's the Jews... I know you didn't. I just had to get on your case. Okay, okay. I didn't mean to say that the Jews are the motivating force for secularizing uh, Christianity, although you do hear this from Pat Buchanan and others. Uh, that I am sure anybody who is selling the protocols will sell that too. Right. There's they no will problem. say that it's the Jews beyond. They're the ones that are behind Happy Holidays as opposed to Merry Christmas. That, they are the ones. Think, think of the um, Berliners, right? The, 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 the people who wrote the carols, we know that it's all Hamish people. Yes. And right. I know that my cousin is a major salesman of Christmas decorations. Okay, so I know. But that's that has also been part of the anti-Semitic uh, sure. creed. Screed is that what the Jews did was they parasitically used Christmas as a way to make money and to ultra-commercialize it. As yes. A, and, 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 and to de-religionize it. Right. Right. And when you when you see signs, and I have a, a wonderful neighbor next door, a great relationship with, and she has a big sign in her uh, on her front lawn that says, "Put Christ back in Christmas." Which to right. me means it's it's a reaction against what has happened. The holiday party should be the Christmas party, but again, I did not mean to say that the Jews are the driving force. That's the anti-Semitic sense of things. I am saying the reason why it's so appealing and why they want to jump into that pool is because it will uh, it will cause an ending of the sense of inferiority. It will cause them to 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 be which has been, as you say, has been growing within them despite everything their parents and their schooling has tried to put in there. And and, and having this uh, option and running with it and pushing it and and, 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 and stepping behind Budapest and everyone that's pushing that is a way to not only make the world better, but also to relieve many Jews of this angst that is lying on them. That That's what I meant as far as that goes. So, and I also think it might be Buttigieg instead of Buttigieg. You know, I'm not going to start, um, <laughs> if, if, if we're going to start correcting each other on pronunciations, I'm yeah, going to start with, gonna... I'm going to start with ridiculous. That's going to be the first place that I'm going to start yeah. with. And I didn't do that. So I learned, you know, but if you, as you're going to start, you know, nitpicking on me, I'm going to throw it back at you. I withdraw my correction. <laughs> All right. Well, we want everybody to, as we end on a little bit of note of mirth, uh, to uh, uh, at least have some aspect of being besimcha and being merry and uh, hopefully navigating things uh, this period. And, you know, it, it's strange. We'll just end with this point that Christmas Day, of course, is a Yom Tonis in Klal Yisrael this year. It's a fast day. It's a, a Sarabatevis. So in some ways, I think many of our teachers and, and, and guides are probably happy with the fact that, no, no, it's not only is it Erev Shabbos that you got ready for Kedusha, it's a day of Tonus, a day of Tshuva, and what better way 
to to spend uh, Christmas Day than in fasting and in in supplication uh, and 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 thinking about God in a positive way. Take care, Dr. J. We'll see you hopefully on the other side. Be well. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 